0: Welcome to My Friends in the North with PR and management consultant Sarah Waddington as she interviews some of the leading lights in the north of England about their work, the economy, communications and what makes them tick.
1: You're listening to the latest episode of My Friends in the North. As you'll know, it's a new podcast series where I interview some of the most interesting and influential business people in the north of England. And I'm delighted to be sat today with uh, a friend and a colleague who I've known for years now, uh, Liz Mays from the Common Room of the Great North. Morning, Liz. Good morning. How are you?
0: I'm fine, thank you.
1: (laughs) Well, I know that the first thing people are going to ask me about is what is the Common Room of the Great North? Shall we start there? Can you tell me what the organisation is? and what the purpose is?
0: Yeah, so the Common Room is a new charity. and um, It was set up a couple of years ago to take over and redevelop the assets of the Mining Institute in central Newcastle. Um, most people who know Newcastle will know the Mining Institute or where it is. They'll have walked past it many, many times, but most people have never been inside of it. And the reality is the building and um, the institute itself have been bearing the scars of the decline of the mining industry in the region um, for a good forty years, and so the common room was set up as a means of saving that building, preserving it for future generations, and really opening it up and giving it back to the region that created it. Amazing, mining having been a really key part of our heritage, right, and actually quite important in terms of the industry going forward. Yeah, absolutely, and I think it's you know the the story of mining in the northeast is is well understood, mostly because there are still pockets of deprivation that are bearing the scars of the closure of, of the mines um, over the last 30 to 40 years, um, but what the story of the Institute tells is slightly different. It's really focused on innovation and engineering and the founders of the Institute who set it up in 1852 were really focused on improving the lives of the communities, making mining safer and innovating so they could expand, um, expand their profits and grow their businesses. It's fantastic. It
1: actually, it's fascinating that all the things that you have, all the assets that you have, actually are helping shape the future in the northeast in terms of what we do next, in terms of what energy looks like, what manufacturing looks like.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And um, one of the things that really attracted me to the project was the idea that we could use this building and this heritage to inspire current generations of engineers. So there's a massive skills gap still um, in the engineering sector. I've been listening to businesses talk to me about that for the last 15 years through my previous roles with CBI and the um, and now Make UK, it's called the EEF, Um so this felt like a way of kind of instilling that pride, recognizing that mining as an industry doesn't exist in the same way, but that actually those engineering skills, that innovation does still exist. And also to kind of present um, the region's industrial heritage to young people in a non-museum setting. So so they would come to a live building and um, they would spot that there would be conferences going on with uh, you know, big employers, engineering employers, and feel actually that they were standing on the shoulders of engineering giants and that they could pursue this route for their future careers. Which you literally are when you go into
1: the building. I mean, the heritage there and the fact that all lots of meetings took place there. It's You do walk into living history. What I love about it as well is that, obviously, you talk about inspiring the next generation. Um, obviously, you've got quite a focus on younger females too. And Andrew Hodgson and I, in the first episode, talked about how important it is to get more females into STEM. And he said they are there, but in certain areas. But actually, we need to make sure that's more widespread. So it's, it's lovely to see
0: that focus on that. Mm -hmm. and I think from our perspective you know the building couldn't be more accessible it's right next to central station in the middle of Newcastle and one of the challenges for manufacturing and engineering sector is that they're they're kind of invisible now you know young people don't walk past them they don't see them in the same ways you have to know they're there you know big engineering companies are based on Team Valley or Cramlington but you know unless you've got any reason to to know those businesses there then you don't know so what we really want to do is kind of bring that activity into the centre of Newcastle and then it and then it broadens the reach um to different
1: different groups and of course it's shut at the moment for the reefer but when you reopen obviously going to be used in all kinds of ways including as um, a wedding venue but also conference and events which is fantastic which opens it up to the business community too
0: yeah and we want to we've got to make the charity sustainable so um we're The charitable part of the business has a trading arm, the profits from which will go back into the business. And ultimately the business will be a conference center and the profits from that will support our education and outreach work. But yeah, we've got some incredible spaces in there, you know, for things like weddings, but for celebration events. And we're gonna use those through our charitable arm as well for apprentice celebration events, award ceremonies, just to kind of bring it back to life again and and fill it it with um, events and, and a buzz again.
1: When I first got involved with you and the Common Room, we talked about the UN Sustainable Development Goals and um, obviously something we both support wholeheartedly, but I know that you were very keen to
0: link those in with what you're doing. How, How do they link together? Well, that was something that had been developed um, by my predecessor in the project, um, Peter Stark, before I came on board. Because what he was trying to do was find the way in which you could link the heritage with something that would inspire young people. Um, And through various conversations and, and working with partners and other consultants on the project, the UN Sustainable Development Goals were picked out as being um, a really relevant framework that young people could easily come to terms with. And so those goals are woven through our programme. And they're, proving really really useful for us in terms of our education programme. So we've been working with primary school kids who can very easily identify with them. We've done some work with secondary school pupils. But similarly, you know, looking at kind of how the North East is developing low-carbon vehicle technologies, they're as as relevant for a business community as they are. So they become a really good... um, overarching um, kind of umbrella of values that we can kind of aspire to and look how the northeast can solve.
1: No, I absolutely love it. I mean, I talk an awful lot about organizations needing to put purpose over profits and a lot of people say to me well we, where do we start and they struggle a bit with that and actually that is a really great framework to look at and go back and say actually what is our role in, in the community how can we put back and that it just sets it out very clearly in terms of how how many different ways and you might even just choose one mm-hmm. but actually it gives you a starting point so hugely laudable it's great to see I'm going to change the subject a little bit and um, I'm smiling a little bit because I think probably we've both got a bit of a reputation for this in the marketplace but for those that don't know Liz and I would both say that we're feminists uh, and I want to ask Liz, basically, how far do you think we've come and how far have we got to go until there's gender equality? Oh, that's a big question, isn't <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, it's,
0: it's um, a bit of a mean one, but, yeah, yeah. but we're going to go there. <laughs> I still find it, you know, I, I, I remember seeing Laura Bates do a, um, a speech at Newcastle University a couple of years ago and she, she put up the definition of what a feminist is and it's just somebody who believes that women and men are equal. Yeah. So like, it really surprises me. To be fair. Yeah, and it <laughs> surprises me that people are so scared of the term. Um, so, I mean, in terms of how far we've come, it's clear that we're you know the opportunities available to us as women now are way beyond what you know our parents generation and grandparents generation could have even even dreamt of and that's that's fantastic but I think with that as as new doors get opened then you realize actually oh hang on a minute there's another there's another barrier to jump and there's another hurdle to climb and so you know it doesn't feel like kind of the battle is won and everything is all fine and I think I think there's a recognition uh, amongst um, the business community that they they need to kind of move, move that forward and that there are still some... Um... Even things as basic as pay scales, right? I mean, you look at the news, the yeah. BBC this past
1: 10 days, yet again being called out, someone didn't take a job because she found out that uh, another colleague doing the same job with the same skills and experience being paid more Um, and yes, and you look in America and of course you've got this whole abortion law coming through where women really actually are not
0: being given the right to choose what happens to their body and it's astonishing right? Yeah and some of that's quite scary to see in this sort of um, you know it's 2019 and, and these seem like very backwards moves and and I think that's why it's kind of incumbent on us to kind of make sure that 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 we don't sit silently on any of this and also to recognize that you know as kind of sort of white middle class women Mm -hmm. that we're afforded a lot of privileges that other women don't have and so you know we have to kind of have that kind of broader view of actually you know we've got a responsibility through the platforms we've got through the roles we hold to kind of help everybody kind of you know break down barriers and provide opportunities for more people and that's it's something that's um you know, quite dear to my heart in terms of our project and making sure we feed that through what we do, but also kind of social mobility as well, you know, um, just making sure that that is something that we're thinking about through our own recruitment processes and through how we move our programme forwards. So yeah, there's still work to do and I'm just hoping that my, uh, my girls don't have to I battle quite so much once they get to my age yeah I think that's the thing it's about legacy isn't it and
1: I think yeah. it's also about honing in and focusing on the right stuff there's so much white noise and nonsense so like I had a couple of people say to me oh having just got married oh you're taking uh Stephen's surname and I was like well yes I am but it's my choice but equally my, my my old one was my ex-husband so like <laughs> you know, yeah. what, what am I supposed to do but um, actually that's a choice of mine I find it funny that people even I just I find that nonsense and completely t- distracting from from the, from the point in hand, of the job we've got to do, which is making sure that the playing field is equal and, and we all get you know our our, our chance. Yeah. Well, it actually, moves quite nicely on to the fact that you're a very modern household. Steve, your husband, has taken the weight of childcare so you can work. I, I it's really it's brilliant that you've done that. I wish it was more prevalent. Did you face prejudice about it?
0: I'm not sure. I'd... I'd describe it as prejudice. I think what surprised us both as our kids have got older is how unusual it still is. Mm. And I certainly feel that when I, you know, I don't do it that often, but when I drop the kids off at school, how few men are there. But there are more than there used to be. Um, and I think for us, it was it was less of a kind of active choice, more a kind of, you know, the, the only way we could move it forward because Steve was self-employed and he had the flexibility of that. He works near our house and in many ways that enabled me to kind of pursue the career i i wanted we've we've certainly not cracked it in terms of the balance um and i think that's i think that's something a lot of 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 working families today would reflect on that kind of regardless of how you've ended up kind of splitting it i think nobody feels like they've kind of necessarily got on top of it i think that's it. a problem in every household pretty much across the country Yeah, absolutely. you, know, you do your best
1: but it, there's always slight imbalances i guess it's yeah. a case of making it a priority and an ongoing concern that you constantly address
0: yeah and I think that's something that relates to your previous question about kind of how far how far we've come and how far we've got to go in that we're just you know we're the first generation that are really trying to kind of find our way through this so um because yes because we were we were
1: the generation that supposedly could have it all yeah. and I've always said because people used to say to me how did you set up your business and have two kids and have you done this and have you done that and I always say you can't something something has to give unfortunately for me despite trying to work at it, my first marriage gave. And I I attribute all the pressure of a young family and a a young business to that. You know, obviously a relationship thing, but I basically say, do not think you can ever have it all. Decide what your priority are and focus on that. And they will change over time, but just do less and do it, brilliantly and that includes investing in your relationship at all points
0: yeah and I think that's kind of where we got to so you know me me taking the decision to leave my previous job and and, and undertake this project was quite a risk because it was a mm. it was a much less um stable um, organization to move into in terms of if we hadn't and didn't have the funding at the time we didn't have the funding if we hadn't have got got the bid but um you know Steve supported me to do that at that time um you know, and that puts a strain on the family of kind of taking away that kind of security. So
1: Tell everybody what Steve does. I oh, think he deserves God. a plug. He's amazing. <laughs> Steve's amazing. He's not only a brilliant person to to be married to and have oh, around isn't? the house yeah. and have the kids, but he's also tell everybody yeah. he's a superb. Well he's uh, a Lego is, creator.
0: Steve is a Lego artist, so he um he does commissions. He, st- he started off his self-employed life as a photographer, so that's what he was doing when we first had the kids. But um it morphed into this brilliant um Lego business, so now he um, he builds Lego models for...
1: Is he at the um, Bose Museum at the moment?
0: Bose Museum at the moment, yeah, through till October. Um, he's just working on his next commission. He was um, at the Centre for Life not that long ago. Yeah, and he's, he's working with them again at the moment on mm-hmm. another... A big exhibition which is really exciting and he's um yeah he's i'm not sure how much how many how many things i'm allowed to let out about what <laughs> else yeah, he's doing better
1: not, uh, but yeah i mean it's steve the out the steve
0: has arguably got the best job in the world but um... he does what well he knows, doesn't <laughs> yeah, it? I can he
1: imagine does. just building lego all day every day yeah. but it's a very special skill now i would urge everybody to go and check his work out because yes. uh it's it's not just for kids it's for everybody yeah Schools, let's talk about schools. I know that you are quite passionate about education and, like you, you talked about before, social mobility. And you were a school governor for about six years. Mm-hmm. How important is it, and this is something that I work with the Local Enterprise Partnership, the Northeast Local Enterprise Partnership, and they are very keen to get people to consider becoming um, involved with their local schools in a governor capacity. Why is it important you know, to get involved with the local education sector?
0: I just think you can't... Um... Comment on something unless you're willing to kind of roll your, or your sleeves up and get involved with it, and that's something that 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 we'll definitely take through into our project. In that, you know, the, there's a lot of misinformation between the business community, the education sector, between government about kind of everything that's going on. But you know, unless you can really understand and you know walk in the shoes of of the other sector, then then you are never going to be able to find the solution. So. Becoming a governor, um, I was governor of a small uh, primary school in a in a in a deprived area of Sunderland, and I got involved in them when I when I was with the CBI because we supported their breakfast club, and it it's incredibly eye opening, and it you know in terms of recognizing your own privilege, that's that's when you really see it when you kind of recognize that only twenty minutes away from where where you live, there are families living in much more challenging Today's circumstances. Today's news, right, and it's getting worse rather
1: than better. Today's news, as I heard the headlines coming across to see you today, is that. Uh, the percentage of children who are, are unable to study effectively because they're going hungry on a morning has has risen. I can't remember the percentage, but I literally just heard that you know, yeah. the last half
0: hour. Yeah, and these are, you know, these you know, kind of children who live in circumstances where actually doing the homework is almost impossible because, you know, if you can't afford to heat the whole house then you, or you don't have your own room, then, you know, and these are kind of barriers that you sort of, you know... You, we it's, take for granted, right? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And, you know, little things... Like, I'm So I'm not a governor of the school now. I've done my six-year term. And, you know, it's very challenging being a governor, kind of coming to terms with the school system and the terminology and the responsibilities... You know, it's not for the faint-hearted, really. But um I've still stayed in touch with the school. And, you know, whenever they kind of need resources, I always do a call-out to my mm. friends. And little things like, you know, um we save all the kids... Uh, books winter, and toys. Winter, yeah, books and toys. Winter coats as well, mm. you know, because they said, you know, they, they keep coats in school for kids who turn up without them so they can play out at break. And I'm I'm like, you know this is a small thing we can do but it makes
1: and kids grow out my two grow out of everything really quickly so yes we always do donate to a local charity shop but actually schools wouldn't have been something i would have necessarily necessarily have considered yeah yeah good so that's something for everybody to know and perhaps action (laughs) yes (laughs) so i'm going to talk about something that was really good fun you went to buckingham palace last year
0: what was it for, and did you wear a hat? <laughs> Crucial um, question. Yeah, it was almost exactly a year ago, actually. Well, so um, I got invited, um, and you're never really sure why, why you get invited to these things. I got invited uh, to attend one of the garden parties, which was which was really exciting. And I don't know how you get on the list, but I'd had a few meetings with various people who I thought, oh, maybe they have a saying kind of who gets on the list. Yeah, so we arranged it was june half term, may half term which worked out really well, so so we got the train down, dropped the kids off with my parents and um, and I borrowed a beautiful fascinator from my my, um, my gorgeous neighbor, who actually is another brilliant kind of influential woman she 's called Ailsa rutter she 's the director of um, fresh. Uh, the anti-smoking charity and so I borrowed her OBE fascinator because she was awarded an OBE at the start of start of last year and she very kindly lent me that but um as I did feel like a bit of a fraud kind of wearing this special hat (laughs) for a garden party but it was brilliant yeah we had a really lovely lovely time and it's very um yeah it's a very special opportunity to get to go there and you know We'd never take that kind of thing for granted absolutely maybe get to go again one day who knows that would be amazing yeah. bring me
1: along with you <laughs> <laughs> all right so let's get into politics brexit hasn't happened what do you consider to be the biggest issue with politics today because what a mess we are in <laughs> and actually you know you look at the uh, you know the anniversary of the D day landings you
0: listen to the veterans and you think what are we doing yeah i have had exactly those thoughts this week and and i just think it's an absolute shambles and i can't i can't believe we're really sort of in this position and i think it's you know i think you know you and i had spoken and it's why why you know we were both kind of supportive of um john mccabe as an independent mayoral candidate because so this is for the northeast um yeah northern time mayoral elections yeah and because you know i you know I'm, i'm a socialist at heart but i'd say i'm kind of you know center ground and i just feel like um society is becoming so fragmented yeah actually most people don't really want that you know you know if you look in you look somebody in the eye and everybody wants the same things in life don't they they want you know they want their family to be healthy and well they want to be able to earn a decent living but I feel I don't I don't know what is at play here really that has kind of forced people to such extremes and we can't talk sensibly about it we've lost for me I feel
1: like we've lost the opportunity for positive discourse people can't disagree in a a sensible manner anymore where it used to be that you could have constricted debates and hopefully land in a different place and maybe you would change your views or you might agree politely to disagree and that just seems to have have ended and I don't know whether it's social media I don't know whether it's the nature of the different parties the rhetoric I, I can't I just can't work it out
0: yeah I think it's really um I mean, God knows what future generations will think when they look back and study this. I'm sure it will be studied. the most studied. interesting period of yeah. history, this last decade. I mean, I think yeah. we'll all look back at it and think, oh, what the hell what happened? Yeah, and I, and I don't, you know, I think, I think all of the major parties are making, making big mistakes in judgment in how they move this forward. And I think they're kind of underestimating uh, the population. And um, yeah, it's, it, it's very strange and, you know, I think it, it's interesting. I've, I've, I'm interested in kind of the work that people like um, Women's Equality Party are doing who are very mm. kind of focused in on, a, you know, quite a specific area. But, you know, there's a rise of those smaller parties who are not necessarily yet challenging the mainstream. i But you're
1: uniting people and values, right? Yeah, I think yeah. it's really important at this point in time because people can't identify with the main two particularly. Mm. So actually this is where these smaller parties are actually having some success because people like you and I are going... I I just can't align myself with anybody yeah. that the choices that I've got where else and thankfully we are seeing the rise of yeah. of others.
0: And I think what's been Finally. interesting in what's been interesting for me in, in talking to kind of friends and colleagues about um the sort of recent round of um local and mayoral elections that we've had in the northeast is actually people are being much more um they're kind of voting differently for different things, so it's not a for the straight first time it's now. it's not yeah.
1: two-party straight parties no. anymore.
0: And but it's also not necessarily kind of, you know, it's people voting for, you know, a different party for their local elections than they would for the national um, or or for the mayoral elections. And, and so I think everybody's kind of really giving it a lot more thought. And I think, you know, the challenge with that is it kind of allows extremism to come out mm. and, and to make gains. But... You know, I think the big political parties need to be looking very closely at why people are are, are moving to those extremes and and to do a little bit of soul-searching, really, to find... to make difficult decisions, because that's what they're avoiding. It's a path of least resistance, as far as I can see. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Nearly finished, but you've got two smart, beautiful girls, both under 10. Mm What do you want them to value and believe in as they grow up? Bearing in mind that we're living in quite turbulent times and you'd be like, may I protect my two boys, that they have an idea about Brexit, they think it's a very silly idea. I don't know where <laughs> they pick that up from. Um, but, you know, what do, what do you want them to hold on to
0: as they grow up? Um, I think I'm I'm relatively optimistic that I can see how the school system and how they relate to kind of other people is is kind of setting them up to be quite positive and inclusive there are there are kind of things that they just take for granted about society that would have been questioned when we were at school and so that that, that makes me feel like all hope is not lost they're going to fix them. everything for us right they're going to fix it all yeah and i just i just really want them to be able to kind of fulfill their dream dreams and what i'm hoping is that you know there's there's more knowledge from kind of our generation of kind of what the challenges are of the having it all and i think you know being more really realistic with them about the challenges kind of comes comes with time so yeah I don't know um, and it's quite interesting at this point trying to work out kind of which route they're, route they're going for. I mean my eldest certainly could you know with their negotiation skills could, could move into <laughs> politics or, or right now or, or anything probably now yeah <laughs> yeah I just I just hope we'll get him in as chancellor right <laughs> yeah perhaps so yeah I don't know I do think in some ways it's more challenging I, I don't know I don't know on the on the gender issue whether it's whether it's better or worse for them. I feel like because of social media mm. it's being a lot of pressure, female is is, mm. is much different now from it was when I was, you know, 15 and had a perm and glasses and you know. <laughs> you and, me both. You know. <laughs> and so, you know, and I just think, you know, that doesn't happen and that's my my worry actually is about their concern with their own appearance and that mm. becoming something that you know they obsess with so I'm quite that's the thing I'm kind of protecting them about at the moment you know in terms of keep them off technology as much as possible that's all we're trying to do in
1: our house but it's ever harder
0: yeah I am both of them are both at the minute obsessed with clapping games and rhymes like and and the fact that they do and I know all of those has made me think actually not much has changed in some ways yeah Yeah. they're still doing that and still skipping and still riding their bikes and long may it continue amen to that
1: Liz, as ever, it's been uh, great to chat to you. If people want to find out more
0: about The Common Room, how do they do that? Um, so our website is, is, well, it exists, but it's under construction. We've just, uh, we've just appointed the people who are going to make it all um, fancy for us. Um, but the website is thecommonroom.org.uk. I'm also on Twitter. We're on LinkedIn and um, Facebook. So if, have a search around for us and you can find out what's happening with the project. And if people want to get involved, also they should get in touch because, you know, it's we're doing something really special um, for that part of Newcastle and we just want to make sure people know about it. Fantastic. Thanks ever so much. Good to speak to you. Thank you for listening to My Friends in the North with Sarah Waddington. You can find Sarah on Twitter at Mrs underscore Wads or get involved with the podcast by emailing Sarah at astute See you next time.